If you have your Bible with you this morning or a device with a Bible app on it, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 50, and I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we'll come back and dive into it after that. Luke says this, again, in chapter 7 of his gospel, beginning in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little then Jesus said to her your sins are forgiven the other guests began to say among themselves who is this who even forgives sins Jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace this is week nine of our message series that we've been in called the upside down kingdom where we've been looking at Jesus's parables and how he communicates to us the values of his kingdom that he works in us and through us to expose to the world and to turn this world upside down because many of those values are upside down from the world's values we've looked at a number of parables we'll finish this series up on Easter weekend looking at one final parable together but you may have noticed I mean I read quite a few verses to you there but the parable that we're looking at is really short I mean it was buried in all of this context in which the parable was told and the comments that Jesus made to drive home the point of the parable but I mean the parable is pretty short it was pretty much one guy owed 500 denarii another 50 both of their debts were canceled and that was it but Jesus used it with all the things that were going on during this event to drive home his main point which was basically whoever has been forgiven much will love much but whoever's been forgiven little loves little now 
A lot of times we tend to think when we see this that Jesus is referring to Simon as the guy who sinned a little bit and this woman has sinned a lot because of the way it's written here. And that's certainly true in one regard. I mean, she was known as a sinful and lived a sinful lifestyle because of her actions. This guy was known as a religious guy and as a good moral guy because he was a Pharisee. He was one of the leaders of the day. But I think we can be tempted then to think that some people, like the Pharisees and the good religious moral people, are right there. You know, they're, they're just right there. They just need a little bit of God's forgiveness. And if they just get a little bit of that, then they'll just kind of get over the hump and they'll be able to have eternal life in God. But then there are other people who, I mean, are really far away from God. And you can tell those people. I mean, all you have to do is look out in society and you can see a bunch of the low-life people that we're talking about there that are that far away from God. I've heard a lot of people in church even share similar kinds of things as far as, man, you know, I was basically saved. I came to know Jesus when I was six, seven, eight years old, you know, and I grew up in the church. I really don't even have a testimony. Sometimes I wish I had a story like the drug dealer. You notice how it's always the drug dealer in that example? I don't really know why okay but yeah, I wish I had somebody a testimony like that who came to know Christ or somebody who had done something really bad and now they can stand before people and say I'm forgiven and I'm saved and their life looks radically different than the way it looks before but I've got a boring testimony because I really wasn't even that big of a sinner whenever I came to know Jesus is that true though is that true I don't think it is true as a matter of fact we have places in scripture that seem to paint quite a different picture for us apostle paul writes several of them one of them is in ephesians 2 verse 1 through 3 where he says to christians about their past he says as for you listen to this you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us notice that language lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath does that to you sound at all like some people are almost right there and just need to get a little forgiven and over the hump to be reconciled to God doesn't really sound that way to me either all all means all every single one of us whether you came to know Jesus at seven years old or at 37 years old and lived a life of sinful behavior all were dead in sins all of us he says were by nature deserving of God's wrath ouch apostle Paul in Romans puts it this way in chapter 3 for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin as it is written there is no one righteous not even one there's no one who understands there is no one who seeks God all have turned away they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's a pretty depressing passage of Scripture. 
doesn't really sound any better. All are under the power of sin. No one righteous. All have turned away. No one who's done good. Again, it doesn't really sound like some people are really good moral people and they just need a little bit of forgiveness to get over the hump and be made with right. Colossians 1, Paul even says, all are alienated from God because of sin and we're considered enemies of his. Do you see the situation that you were in at one time before you came to know Jesus, whether you were seven years old old or again you were 37 years old and lived a life of sin all means all even if you were a good moral rule follower your mommy and daddy taught you right from wrong and you lived by following those rules in school and in their home and all the above and you were just the good little boy or the good little girl you understand that you were in the exact same situation as the thief and the murderer however far you want to run with that. All means all. Can you imagine standing before the God of the universe knowing those two things that I just read to you? The things that God just said about the state that you were really in. Can you you imagine standing in his presence knowing that he calls you his enemy, that you are spiritually dead to him, that you are deserving of his wrath, I mean, the holy, magnificent, all-powerful God you are standing before and he's declaring these things to be true of you. How would you feel in that moment? Be scared to death. You would understand at that point. You would finally see the light of the insurmountable debt that you owed to God that you could never pay back to him and that there was no way you could get out of this situation. You were about to experience his wrath in that moment. Imagine the fear, the worry, and the anxiety. And then God says, but, (laughs) but I forgive you but I cancel all of your debt, your entire debt right here and right now based on my son's finished work on the cross for you. Can you imagine the relief that you would feel in that moment? Can you imagine the joy that you would feel in that moment to have that declared? This is the gospel. That's how far away you were from God in the situation that you were really in and how much you've been forgiven and released from that was due coming to you because of sin in your life. Man, it is good, good news. But did you know it's not all of the good news? It is the gospel, but it's only part of the gospel because not only does he cancel your debt that you owe and kind of get you back to zero, right? I mean, that's, that's what happens when we have an overdrawn bank account. You know, I mean, you get text, I didn't bring my phone in, but you get text messages and alerts about your bank. Anybody ever been there before where you spend a little bit more money than you had and all of a sudden you get a text message that says you have a negative balance in your account, right? We've probably all gotten one of those a time or two. Imagine getting one of those one day and it's saying that you had, I mean, you had a negative $1 million balance in your account, Once again, I mean, you'd be pretty frightened about that. There would be some fear uh, that was going on that you would be experiencing and thinking in that particular moment, right? But then let's imagine that the bank called you and said, hey, we noticed that you have a negative $1 million balance in your account, but we're feeling pretty generous today. 
It's your lucky day. You know what we're going to do for you? We're going to cancel your entire $1 million debt. You don't have to pay it back to us. You're welcome. What would you feel in that moment? You'd feel pretty good, right? I mean, you'd do your happy dance. You'd be running around and joy and singing and crazy. You'd love that person on the other end of the line and expressing all kinds of emotions to them and all of the above. But then you log back into your account about 10 minutes later and you, you see what your balance is at that time and what would it be? Zero, right? Like, oh, well, that was good, but now I'm stuck at zero. I don't have anything. I'm no longer in debt. Whew, man, I'm relieved. I don't know it, but I have nothing to draw on at this point. Well, that's not God. That's not the gospel. He doesn't just release you from that debt and go, you owed me all of this. I've paid it, and now you're at a zero right imagine the bank then calling you back after that and saying you know what not only are we going to cancel that million dollars that you owed us we're going to put a trillion dollars on top of that in your account yes right may it be so lord no (laughs) um but you talk about a happy dance then right i mean you would be thrilled right and this is the thing that God does for us not only does he forgive us of this ginormous debt that we owe to him he rewards you with his son he rewards you with his life he rewards you with the son's inheritance you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ his son do you see what has happened to you if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation yes your debt has been paid you're not at a zero you've got a quadrillion whatever the biggest number there is in your bank account and then some right i mean it's all been added to so you went from being a sinner to a saint (laughs) you went from being an enemy to a child of god you went from being deserving of his wrath to a co-heir with jesus this is the full gospel message and the reality of all of our situations jesus was not trying to tell simon man simon you're you're such a good dude you you're just right there and you know what it's just it really stinks to be you quite honestly though simon because you were just forgiven a little bit and now you're never going to be able to love me much because you were just forgiven a little but she was in a great situation because she was such a terrible sinner she's going to really be able to love me a lot now but you won't and it's not the point that he's trying to make home he's trying to help us all see simon see that his sin was ginormous and that it was something that he couldn't pay and when he begins to finally see that then what that will cause him to do now is to love the same way that she was loving because of how much she has been forgiven it will compel us to love god greatly which is exactly what she was doing let's go back and look at a few of the things that we were told verse 37 a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house so she came in with an alabaster jar of perfume did you know that was a very expensive bottle or jar of perfume that she was walking in with i mean most commentators believe that that was roughly the cost uh, um, of an average person's annual income 
what they would make for an entire year of working they would have to spend to be able to have an alabaster jar of perfume and so this was a valuable commodity to her this was her security this is something that she could rely on to provide for her for quite a while but she wasn't there to sell it or to gain anything from it she was there to give it away and to worship, to use it for Jesus. Verse 38, as she stood behind him with his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. I mean, this is an emotional response. It's an emotional response to the depth of her sin having been forgiven prior to this instant. Even though Jesus said at the end of it, your sins have been forgiven, we know that she had to have been forgiven at a prior time and had an encounter with Jesus before this moment because he said in verse, where was it? 30, 47, her many sins have been forgiven as what? As her great love has shown. In other words, this love that she's showing me now in this moment is a response to the forgiveness that she had already received. It wasn't what she was bringing to me and doing for her earned forgiveness and that I was able to grant her. He was reassuring her of the forgiveness that she had received and that this was a valid expression of how she was being compelled to love and serve and worship him. There's so much humility in her loving response to her forgiveness. There's so much reverence here. I mean, she's kneeling, she's worshiping, she's bowing she's she's washing feet she's kissing feet but not only is there a humility in her love and a reverence in her love there's an intimacy in the way she's loving Jesus in this moment too women did not let their hair down in public during this time it was seen as cause for divorce. Your husband could divorce you if you let your hair down in public. He was the only one that was supposed to see you with your hair actually down. You wouldn't let your hair down if you were fearful in that moment, if you were scared in that moment. But there's something about her feeling confident in being able to approach Jesus in this moment. There's an intimacy to the way that she's able to approach him and express this love to him and it's all wrapped up in one thing it's not just humility it's not just the reverence there's an intimacy in the way that she was compelled to love him based on how much she had been forgiven and all that she had in Christ now and you and I need to see that because it's the same way that he will compel us to love him, to respond to him, and to love him as well. There will be humility. There will be reverence when we're approaching the God of the universe and loving him. But there's also, because of the finished work of Christ, that we can approach him with confidence as well and that we can share an intimate relationship with him and to crawl up in his lap and just enjoy him in the personal relationship that we can have. We don't love out of fear because the fear has been removed. You can approach him with 
confidence. This is not some kind of transactional love. Unfortunately, I've been in this place before. Many of you in the church have been in this place before where we view God as sitting on the throne and he has the ability to manufacture situations and circumstances and based on how well it is that we're doing down here is what causes him to make our situations or circumstances worse or to make our situations and circumstances better. And so we find ourselves in a place of, oh, my life really stinks right now. I need to get back into church and I need to show him that I love him more. I need to serve him more and I need to give more. And we think that when we do that, he's going to look favorably upon us now and we're expressing that kind of love to him, which is going to then cause him to act on our behalf to make our situations that we were in that weren't so great better. So now we're finally not lacking what we felt like we were lacking in that moment and we had more life than we had in that other moment and it's not how it works when we realize how much we've been forgiven when we realize how much we have in Christ then we're compelled to love him not to get something out of him but because we already have everything in him we've got a trillion dollars in our bank account (laughs) so this is the first kind of love that it will produce but the other thing I just want to quickly point out is that the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, even though it doesn't come out exactly in this right here, you can also make the point that if we realize that we've been forgiven much and how much we have in Christ, then not only is that going to compel us to love him more greatly, but to love other people more greatly. Because what happens is when we don't think of people being in the same situation that we're in then we're going to look down on some people and we're going to not love them as well it's what happened in Simon's life look at verse 39 again he says when the Pharisee who referring to Simon had invited him saw this referring to what she was doing he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is she is a sinner When you think that you haven't sinned much, then it's not going to lead you, it's going to lead you not to love not only God much, but other people as much, because now you need them. You need to take from them. Because you're in a situation where you've got to use them to justify how moral and good you really are and that you really only needed to get a little bit over the hump so you need people who are making way more of a mess of life than you are to be able to highlight to go I've got to take from them something that I need to justify myself and build me up with how it is that I'm doing before God and how I feel like I'm doing in this life people like Simon didn't associate with people like this woman They viewed her as unclean. They looked down upon her. They were to be kept at a distance. She was dirty. You don't hang out with people. You shame people like her. But Jesus loved her. He loved her deeply. He even used her as the example of the right kind of love towards God over Simon, who was the Pharisee, who was seen as someone who was godly and to point other people to him. Again, the point is, is that when we see how much we've been forgiven and all that we have in in him, that's gonna compel us to love other people who are stuck in their sin. We're not gonna look at other people the way that Simon was looking at them and feeling like we should shame them or call them out for their sin in this world. Now, 
Sometimes, unfortunately, that's what we do see people in the church doing. We do see uh, us, and we've participated in that every now and then, not loving sinners in the world, calling them out for their sin and all the things that they're doing to destroy this world that we're living in, but that's primarily because we're not seeing what Jesus said here. We're not seeing how big of a debt we were really in just like they were really in because when we see that, then we're going to see that really there's no difference in them in the situation they're in right now in this moment that we're loathing than when we were, the situation we were in before we came to know Christ either. And when we see that, and then we have all that we need in them and I don't need to take from them to justify myself or before God, then now that frees us up to just be compelled to have compassion for them, to feel sorry for them being in that situation, to be compelled to love and to serve and build relationships with them and to share Jesus with them. So these are the things that we we see in this parable that Jesus told in the context of everything that was happening. That when we realize that we're forgiven much, we will love much. We'll love Jesus with a sincere and humble and reverent love, but also with a confident and intimate love. We'll also love others more deeply. It's my hope and my prayers that for those of us who are here today who have said yes to Jesus, we'll clearly see the situation that we were in, how much of a debt we really owed to God, how that debt has been paid, but that we weren't brought back to a zero, that we had a trillion dollars put in our bank account in Christ, and we have so much in Him and are now free to just be able to love as He compels us to love both Him and others. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you may find yourself on one of those two sides. You understand that you're a sinner just like the woman did and you know the depths of your sin and you didn't think that you were worthy of his love. So you've never said yes to Jesus or wanted anything to do with him. And then you may be on the other side today where you've never said yes to Jesus because you really felt like you were doing okay in this world and you and him were pretty good because your mom and dad taught you right from wrong and you're associated with the right political party or whatever else is going on in your mind, right? And what I hope you see clearly today is how far off that thinking really is compared to a holy and a perfect God. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, even though Jesus has accomplished all of what's necessary to pay that debt and put that trillion dollars in your bank account, if you've never taken a step, if you've never put your faith in him to receive what it is that he's accomplished, then you're still in that situation where if you go before him, you are dead to him spiritually you are deserving of his wrath because you haven't accepted the free gift that's offered to you and so my question to you if that's you or you know the depth of your sin and you're seeing it clearly today would you allow him to lead you to take that step and receive as a gift what he's purchased for you the debt that you owe him and allow him to deposit his son's life so that you can be a co-heir with him in this moment. Man, it's my hope and prayer that you won't leave here today without saying yes to that good news. Let's pray. Father, what good news it really is. 
again, that you would allow your son to leave the glory and riches of heaven, to come here, to suffer and die, to pay our debt that we owed, and to even reward us, to give us your grace on the other side of that. It goes way beyond mercy and forgiveness, and we can't thank you enough. For those of us who have said yes to Jesus, oh, would you clearly continue to just help us to see the situation we were really in, no matter what our background is, how much we've truly been forgiven. And would you use that to compel us to love you with humility and reverence and confidence and intimacy and to love others, to share our lives with them as you work in us and through us and compel us to do so. And Father, for those who are here today, never said yes to you because they have felt like they were okay and there wasn't really anything that they needed to do or respond in any certain way or because they thought the depth of their sin was just too far gone and that they were irredeemable. I want to pray that you continue to open up their minds to see how much you love them and care for them and what you've done for them, what you're offering them in this moment. And if that's you, you've never said yes to Jesus and you are feeling compelled to take that step of faith today to receive what you've never received to make sure that that debts that's been paid has been entered into your own account and that you've been deposited his life as well you could just say a simple prayer of faith like this in the quietness of your heart and mind just say dear god i recognize that i am a sinner a great sinner and that my sin separates me from you but thank you for loving me Jesus, thank you for coming to die for my sins. And right now in this moment, I put my faith and trust in you to be my savior. Please forgive my sins. Please erase my debt. Please come dwell in me and give me your life. Be my guide, be my source. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for putting your life in me and I make myself available to you. Would you be my guide and would you empower me to live the life now that you've always created me to live and that I just received in this moment right now. In Jesus' name, amen.